things are not as they seem. Just take a look at what's going on in Afghanistan, Taliban, the loss of life, all the turmoil, innocent people being killed. Uh, Tigray has been classified as a humanitarian catastrophe. Heard about Haiti, had an earthquake, followed by hurricane. What is going on? Loss of life, loss of people's possessions. Things are not as they seem. There is a throne and someone is sitting on it. By telling you that uh, in preparing for today's message, I have been so encouraged by what I've been studying and uh, and also uh, challenged. And I'm not sure about you, but I find that happens a lot, that I can be encouraged by the Word of God, but I can also be challenged by it. But it has been a, a great uh, time in God's Word. I do want to start by just laying a bit of a, a foundation on what we're going to be looking at today. So this book uh, was written by the Apostle John. Uh, most of you are probably aware John was one of Jesus' uh, closest friends during uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, at this point, John is in his 80s. You can believe it, somewhere in his, his mid-80s. Um, and again, it has been like 60 years since Jesus' uh, crucifixion and, and resurrection. And uh, where does John find himself in his mid-80s? Uh, he is on a pile of rocks in Patmos. It's uh, an island uh, that was a Roman penal colony. Um, and here he is on this, uh, I sort of think of it as an Alcatraz, but it's probably way, way worse than Alcatraz ever was with regards to conditions. But here he is, an 86-year-old apostle pastor. And the reason he's there is that he refused to worship the Emperor Nero as God, which is what the government was asking people to do, and for probably some of his other missionary missionary work. So John's in jail. The other thing I'd like to just sort of talk about is the theme. And the theme that runs through this book is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I just have to say that again. This book is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is over everything. He is supreme in everything, uh, all-powerful, all-victorious, all-sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, name that is above every name. That is what this book is about. The writing style is a bit different. If you've read through Revelation, it's called an apocalyptic kind of a writing. So there's lots of imagery. Um, there's lots of symbols in this book. So sometimes it can be uh, a little confusing. Sometimes it can even be scary. Uh, we've got uh, beasts coming out of the sea. We've got animals with um, eyes all over them. We've got battles going on. And uh, so some of that, as I said, can be scary. Uh, it can also be difficult to interpret. But keep in mind as you're reading through that, that it is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and to be encouraged by that, and just to keep that as the main theme uh, of the books. There's three main points I hope 
come across uh, clearly today. I'll say that the first point I'm going to talk about is that things are not as they seem. Uh, the second point is that there is a throne. And the third point is that someone is sitting on that throne. The first point I'd like to talk about today is that things are not as they seem. Our vision of reality of the world around us, our, our frame of reference, what people would call our worldview, how do we interpret reality around us, uh, is important because our worldview significantly controls really the quality of our life because our worldview really, uh, really affects the decisions that uh, we make day to day. Um, it's a cause and effect. Uh, my worldview, decisions I make, affect the way that I live, I live my life. Uh, my worldview and uh, your worldview probably differ in a lot of different ways. And the reason that our worldviews can differ is because we look through the lenses of those realities in, in different, different ways, different classes, different lenses. Those lenses can be a result of uh, our upbringing. My, my parents and my family upbringing is different than yours. So I have a set of glasses, a set of lenses that affect that, how I see reality. Um, it could be the friends that I have is a lens that I see reality through. Uh, it could be media. Uh, the media that I look at um, can affect my view of understanding uh, of reality. And again, like I say, we don't all agree or have the same worldview on different things that are going on around us. A good example right now is COVID and vaccinations. Um, to vaccinate, not to vaccinate. My worldview, my understanding of that reality, based on the lenses that I look through and get my information from and make my decisions from, uh, can be very different than yours. And consequently, we have people who feel a vaccination is something they should be doing, something that vaccinations people shouldn't be doing. So I guess my point is this, this worldview that I have is really, really significant and, and important in, in how I live my life. Um, I'm colorblind. Uh, no one to blame, really. It's, it's biology. Well, actually, it's uh, women, just so you know, women do carry this uh, gene, a recessive gene. So if I was to blame anybody, it would be my mother. But I'm not going to do that because it's really, it's not her fault. But I am colorblind. Uh, and that means that my color lens is, is damaged. And my worldview of color is going to be affected because that lens uh, isn't seeing reality properly. And that affects my life and the way I live my life. We were coming across, Kathy and I, over the Duffy um, a few years ago. And we were driving along and, and Kathy said, wow. She said, look, let's stop and look at those Indian paintbrushes. They are beautiful. And I am colorblind red-green. And if you know, Indian paintbrush are a bright red. And so I'm looking to where Kathy's pointing and I'm seeing nothing. I am seeing absolutely nothing. And we did stop and we did go over and Kathy actually had to take my hand and actually, you know, two inches away and say, do you, do you see the red now? And I could a little bit. But my point is that lens, that damage, I would have, I wouldn't stopped because there was nothing there that I really, that I really wanted to see. 
what I needed was a set of those colorblind glasses. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they have technology now where a colorblind person like myself can put on a pair of these glasses. And these glasses actually take the reality of color and allow the person to see color as it is for the first time. And if you've ever seen the, the videos of people who are doing that, they put these on and the reality of color is so strong, so amazing. It, it, they start weeping. Some people put these on. It's like they've seen reality of color for the first time in their life and it profoundly affects them. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I hope someday maybe to be able to do that. I need a set of those color blind glass to see colors as they really are. Things are not as they seem. There is more going on around us than our five senses would have us believe. We all have a need for spiritual corrective lenses. We all have a need for what I like to say, we need a set of revelation for glasses to see things as they really are. Things are not as they appear. Revelation 4.1, John says, I looked and, be, and there was a door before me standing open in heaven. I like the other version that says uh, amplified. It says, I looked and behold, or I looked and lo, there was before me a door standing open in heaven. And there before me was the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. This behold, this lo, is not like Kathy saying to me, oh, wow, look at those Indian paintbrushes. Aren't they beautiful? This behold from John is in the tense of a command. He's saying, look, look, look. He's emphatic that his followers are looking so that they can see this uh, thing that is hidden from them if it wasn't for this vision from Revelation 4. Things are not as they seem. There is a throne and someone is sitting on it. The second point I'd like to make today is that there is a throne, and this is good, good news. There is a throne. Again, without Revelation 4 glasses, I would, we would maybe never conclude that from the events of the world around us. Uh, recently, just take a look at what's going in Afghanistan and, and the Taliban, and just the loss of life and all the turmoil and all that's going on there and just innocent people being killed. Uh, Tigray uh, has been classified as a humanitarian catastrophe over there. Um, we just heard about Haiti, it had an earthquake followed by hurricane. Like what is going on? Loss of life, loss of people's possessions. A wildfires in BC this past couple of months, people losing everything they have, communities being ravaged by fire. This is what I might conclude, that there is no throne. Without Revelation 4 glasses, I would conclude that uh, the world is, is a big mess and, and there's no hope. But again, everything is not as it seems. When we put on our Revelation 4 glasses, there is a throne. There is a throne. There is a supreme headquarters. There is a control center of the universe. There is a seat 
of authority and power that is real. The third point I'd like to make today is that there is someone sitting on the throne. And again, this is more, more, more good news. There is somebody sitting on the throne. Again, without Revelation 4 glasses, I might conclude uh, that the headquarters is vacant with all that I've just described and all the mess that the world's in. Yeah, there's this place, but there's nobody who's looking after things. Or worse yet, I might feel like uh, there's been a coup that the powers of evil, the powers of darkness, the powers of chaos have taken over headquarters and are having their way. But Jonah's saying, look, 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 a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. This had to have been a great encouragement for the Apostle John. Because Revelation, this vision that he, he received, was written during a time when the church was under severe, severe persecution. By this time, John in his mid-80s, uh, Peter and James, John's only brother, or James, or John's brother, had both been martyred. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. John's brother was beheaded. The Apostle Paul, Timothy, uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, had also been martyred during this time. Uh, A.D. 69, Nero uh, was feeding Christians to the lions. So this was not a happy time to be a Christian. This was not a happy time to be aligning yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. A.D. 95, uh, Domitian had a reign of terror where 40,000 Christians, he had them murdered. So this is the reality for John without revelation glasses. What was he questioning? It was like, what happened? What happened, Lord? The promise, the promise is that you're going to be with us to the very end and that we're going to do greater things than you and, and that the church is going to go across the world. And here he is sitting on this pile of rocks and most of his good friends, a lot of his good friends have been martyred and killed. Christians are being persecuted all over the world, or all over the, that part of the world. And he has a vision from God, and it says, look, a throne, and someone sitting on it. Maybe this vision was given to John to encourage the churches as a pastor's heart, that he wanted to send this vision to the, to the churches and to send it to them so that they would remain faithful during these times of persecution, that they wouldn't compromise to social or political pressures. I don't know to you, but it, it sounds a little familiar. Faithful under persecution and not compromising to social values that, uh, that we find ourselves surrounded with. So how is this one who sits on the throne described? This is where it just gets so exciting and so terribly exciting in, in, in another regard. Verse 3, the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. This symbolism is meant to represent incredible beauty, uh, incredible majesty, incredible radiance. Uh, someone who is dazzling beyond description. Verse 8, holy, holy, holy. Again, 
declaration of the essential attributes of God, his absolute purity. Lord God Almighty, Almighty, a person on the throne, all might, all strength and power in the universe. Verse 9, who was and is and is to come. He's there in the beginning. He'll be there in the end. He's right here with us today. Verse 11, you have created all things, all things, everything, whether good or evil. Everything owes its existence to the one who is seated on the throne. We all move, as it said, live and have our being in God. In a twisted way, it's comforting for me, maybe for you also to know that evil can only exist with God's permission. Evil can only exist with God's permission. It says, you have created all things. He has created before, and he will create again. I love this from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. But the creative power, the creative future that we have This is what Revelation 21 has to say. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be them, be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said to John, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The one seated on the throne is going to create again. There is hope. There is future. We are heading somewhere with this king on the throne. An amazing picture of who our Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ is. And from the throne, what was coming from the throne? Flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. What does that represent? Ultimate power, holiness. Someone's written terrible awesomeness. And I'm sure John and maybe his followers, when they thought about or heard about flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, would have taken them back to the record of Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai to meet with God in the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. And that's a similar picture that John is given in this vision of what's coming from the throne. Ultimate power, ultimate holiness, terrible awesomeness. And before the throne, seven lamps of fire and the seven spirits of God, representing God's presence in manifold completeness. And finally, I'd like to finish with around the throne. Verse 6, four living creatures 
covered with eyes. What, like what's going on with that for living creatures? And from what I have read, that this represents God's creation, that the number four uh, is the number of creation in the book of Revelation. It talks about the four corners of the earth, talks about the four winds. And on these creatures, there is the lion, an ox, an eagle, and a man. And again, the interpretation that I've read is that the lion uh, is the mightiest among the wild animals, uh, that the ox is the mightiest among the domestic animals, that the eagle is the mightiest among the birds, and that man is the mightiest among them all. And so what we have represented by these four living creatures is the whole of animated, animate creation uh, made by God and, and for God. And then in verse four, 24 thrones and 24 elders seated on them, dressed in white with crowns of gold. So what, why 24? What does the number 24 have to do with? And again, the interpretation is that the 24 comes from 12 and 12. And the first 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And the second 12 represents the 12 apostles of Christ. And the significance there is that the 12 tribes of Israel represents uh, the redeemed humanity before the coming of Christ as God's chosen people. And the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ represented the redeemed humanity after the coming of Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So the 24 thrones and the 24 elders are, are symbolic then of all uh, of redeemed humanity. So what are the elders and what are these living creatures doing around the throne? And to me, this is the big punchline for this part of John's vision. What are they doing? And the word they're doing is that they're worshiping. They are worshiping. Living creatures, verse 8. We've read it before, I think. Each of the four living creatures, day and night, day and night, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the elders around the throne, what are they doing? Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before the throne, or fall down before him who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Why are they worshiping? Well, one of the reasons is verse 11, for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. We owe everything to him who sits on the throne. We owe everything. We owe the breath, our breath of life, our existence, Everything we have, everything we are, belongs to him. And no one, no one else is worthy of that worship. To me, this scene that was given to John 
is a scene that gives me and maybe it gives you our highest vocation, our highest vocation. The Westminster Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of humanity? And they've come up with the answer to glorify God and live with him forever and enjoy him forever. What do the elders do when the living creatures are worshiping? They fall down, they take their crowns and they lay them before the throne. They cast off their crowns, they take all that they are. They take all that they have. They take all that they've achieved and they lay it down before the throne and the one who sits on it. I told you when I started preparing to speak that this has been a time when I have just been so encouraged, so, so, so encouraged. And maybe you're here today in the same and, and you take a look around at the, the mess that the world is in. Uh, maybe some of the messes in your own life and you're just going, it's, it's hopeless. It's, it's a mess. Why? And my encouragement, and maybe the encouragement from this vision that the angel gave John, is what we talked about today, is that things are not as they seem. The reality that I'm seeing around in the mess of the world, yeah, it is a reality, but it's not the whole picture. It is not the whole picture. Things are not as they seem. There is a throne, and there is someone sitting on it. So I hope today that you were encouraged and I hope today that you are challenged. Oh, have faith come back to me on the skin.